Welcome again, friends, to this retelling of the story of God's dealings with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now in its final stages, when we will dive right into the God of Jacob. My name is Mario Diaz, and I'm so thankful that God has brought you near those speakers right now to hear the scriptures. The Bible tells us faith comes by hearing, so I am praying for you and me and our hearts as we listen today. In this podcast, we have left behind all the things we think we knew about God that frankly come from movies and fictional books and other extra-biblical sources many times, and which can cloud our minds as to our relationship with God and who He really is. This is important because we have discovered a God who is personal, who is near those who seek Him and obey Him. He is involved in our affairs and interacts with us. So if you're ready, I am ready. Let's get to it. I will put my trust in God who alone knows my makeup. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. After Jacob's deception of Esau, Rebekah decided to send Jacob to her brother Laban's place because Esau had vouched to kill him once his father passes away. Isaac calls Jacob, blesses him, and asks him not to take a wife from the Canaanites. A few chapters back in chapters 26, uh, verses 34 and 35, we were told that Esau had taken two Hittites, descendants of Canaan, who, quote, made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So Isaac asks Jacob to take a wife from one of Laban's daughters. Esau, seeing this, decides he should take another wife that was not a Canaanite, perhaps in an effort to appease his father. So he marries Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. Jacob leaves towards Haran, but as he's traveling, it gets late, and he decides to spend the night. He puts a rock under his head, and then he had a magnificent dream. In it, there was a ladder that went from earth to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. The Lord stood at the top and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Those of us who have been following this story all along can immediately see the echoes of the promise made to Abraham and then to Isaac and now to Jacob. It is being passed down through each of them and we see it right here. God is emphasizing what he has promised already. Jacob wakes up and he is stunned, of course. How awesome is this place, he says. He calls it the gate of heaven, given what he had seen. He took the stone he used for a pillow and set it up as a pillar and poured oil over it and called the name Bethel. 
That is a name many of you recognize because some churches have been named Bethel. This is where they get that name. And he makes a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Again, another reference to something you have heard probably in church about people tithing. And this is one of those references where you give a tenth of what you have back to the Lord because you recognize what he has given you. There are many more, but this is one of those. We can also sort of recognize how Jacob is establishing this relationship with God himself, not by the faith of his father or his grandfather, but now he is establishing himself in that relationship with God. It is great to see. Jacob keeps going and gets to a well outside the city and sees some shepherds with three flocks. He asks them if they know Laban, and they tell him his daughter Rachel, who is also a shepherdess, how awesome is that, is coming to water the sheep. She gets there, and Jacob moves the rock covering the well and gives water to Laban slash Rebekah's sheep. He greets her and explains who he is. She is ecstatic. This is a kinsman. And so she goes tell her father, who also comes greeting and rejoicing with Jacob. So he stays with them a month. Jacob had apparently been working hard for Laban as his guest. And Laban tells him, listen, I know you're my blood, but I cannot keep taking advantage of you. Tell me what you want as your wages for the work that you are doing. Now Jacob, still remembering the charge his father Isaac has given him, asked for Rachel's hand in marriage. Laban had two daughters. Leah was the firstborn and then Rachel. Jacob says he will work for seven years for her. Now don't get offended. I know that's not how we do things in our day, but stay with me here. Laban agrees. So Jacob serves for seven years for Rebekah, and it says on chapter 29, verse 20 of Genesis, that they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. But when it came time for the wedding night, Laban gave him his daughter Leah, not Rachel. And then in the morning, he discovered what had happened. Now, I know many of us are wondering, how is that possible? There are several factors we can consider. It seemed tradition most definitely had something to do with it. The customary veil and clothing for the wedding night. It was late at night after a feast where drinking of wine is customary and that also may have helped cloud Jacob's vision and judgment. We also don't know how much they resembled each other. In any case, Jacob rises and says to Laban, what have you done? I served for seven years. Why have you deceived me? Now, the irony of this may have escaped Jacob, but it can't escape us. Here is Jacob. His very reason for being there is the deception he had perpetrated on his father and his brother. And now he is crying foul when the deception is committed against him. Perhaps a lesson was being given there in mercy. 
I think there is a lesson at least for us about the power of deception and how it can hurt us. Laban, for his part, says, Sorry, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. And he says he will give him Rebekah also if he serves him for another seven years. And Jacob agrees to this. He loves Rachel, so he will fight for her. The chapter also lets us know that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. This is understandable, but Leah will have a tough predicament. Who will love her? Well, the next verse tells us that God did not forget Leah. Verse 31, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Can we stop again and consider this God and praise Him for who He is? Not a God we created in our mind, but the God we are reading about, a God who does not forget us in our afflictions, in our troubles. We will have Him in life. We read throughout Scripture, but He is always with us. Is there some heartache within you today? If you're struggling through something, you can trust the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All may have forgotten, but he has not. He cares. You can trust him. He's the same God today as it was then. He was the same God to Leah as he was to Hagar. If you remember, she called him El Roi, the God who sees me. When she was destitute, completely alone, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in his providence, saw to it that she was provided for miraculously. There are always longings within man's heart, and God is aware of them all. We just need to open our eyes in the middle of our afflictions to see his love, God's compassionate care for us. We all struggle. Every person needs to feel noticed. Here you have Rachel who has her husband's undivided love and affection, yet cannot have children. She longs for what Leah has. She is fruitful in bearing children and yet longs for her husband's love. Each wishes for what the other has, both seemingly missing God's unbelievable care for them. As we do so often, don't we? God's love is present at all times, yet we miss it. We miss it because we are concerned with other things around us, usually things that we don't have and somebody else does. We long for what we don't have, and if we don't get these desires under control, they can turn our hearts bitter to the point that all joy can be drained out of us. That's just a word of caution. It is glorious to see the change that will slowly happen in Leah. We see it through the naming of her children, and we will finish with that incredible fact of her fourth child and the incredible providence of God. Leah gives birth to her firstborn Reuben, which means see a son, because she says, The Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. So see where her focus is. She then gives birth to her second, Simeon, which means to be heard, because she was starting to see that the Lord was taking care of her, hearing her plea. 
she conceived a third time and gave birth to Levi, meaning joined, saying, now this time my husband will be attached to me. So again, you can see where her focus was with the naming of the children and her husband, even on herself and being heard. But when she conceived her fourth child, that time it was different. This time she said, I will praise the Lord. So she called him Judah, which means praise. Now her focus has shifted away from her husband and even from her own struggle into a praise of God for who he is and what he has done. No longer putting her husband first, she now focuses on thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who has sustained her all along. Now, there's something really amazing about this, and it is hard to explain, but if you studied the scripture at all, that name Judah immediately jumps out at you. But if you haven't heard of it before, just with what you have learned today, if I were to give you a guess to pick from Leah's sons, from which would you say the Messiah will come, the Christ that will come to save his people? Would you pick Reuben, meaning Sia's son, Levi, meaning joined, Simeon, meaning to be heard, or Judah, meaning praise. Praise to God, that is, right? I think you know the answer. The answer is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, will come from the line of Judah. He's called the Lion of Judah. Friends, I hope your heart just jumps with joy and amazement and wonder at what you are reading. If you take this God to heart, you will start to understand that your life matters. What you do matters. What you say matters. Who you worship matters. Your life has purpose. My prayer is that your heart is filled up with thanksgiving as you hear this, so that your cup runneth over as the psalmist wrote. For there is power in the praise and thanksgiving of our Lord, in the praise of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is freedom and peace. That calm and enjoyment your heart is longing for, seeking it in so many other things, is only found in the Lion of Judah the praise of God. Much to think about. Until next time. I will put my trust in God who alone knows my makeup. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.